0: This podcast was recorded from our weekly live stream. To watch this video or see other episodes of The Spiritual Journalist, head to thespiritualjournalist.com or find me on YouTube. You can find a link in the show notes. Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Spiritual Journalist. I'm so grateful you found us here, and I'm so grateful to today's guest for joining us. We have Heather Donaldson joining us for today's episode. She is an ICU nurse who has been treating the sickest of the sick COVID patients throughout the past two years. And today, she has agreed to share her perspective on the pandemic. Now, normally these conversations, we invite you to give your input, ask your questions, be super involved. I do want to preface this conversation by saying that we really don't want people to share their opinions today, not because we don't value your perspective, but because today is all about Heather sharing her perspective and all of us opening up our awareness to her experience. We really hope that you leave today's conversation with an expanded understanding and more empathy and compassion for the people who have been treating the sick and um, really knees deep in this pandemic for the past two years so we're going to dive right into the conversation and again please just be respectful and open-minded today i've always been a deeply curious person talking with anyone who would listen and soaking in as much information as possible So it's no surprise my love for storytelling led me to a career in journalism. But after nearly a decade working in newsrooms across the West Coast, I realized I wanted to start asking questions you probably wouldn't see on your local news. So I left my job as a morning TV reporter and started The Spiritual Journalist. This isn't just a YouTube channel, podcast, website, or social media page. This is a live conversation where you get to ask questions too. Because I'm not the expert. I'm not here to tell you what to believe. My goal is to connect you with people who have profound experiences and inspirational stories to share and we will definitely mix a little astrology in too. So if you're like me, you have this insatiable curiosity and you love deep conversations too, well, this is the place for you. Together each week, we'll explore everything from crystals and tarot to mental health and the environment. There are no wrong questions here. My ultimate goal is for you to come away from each episode with a new perspective and an expanded consciousness. This is a channel for the collective. This is a community for the curious. This is The Spiritual Journalist. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So the last time we chatted like this, I was still working at a local news station. In fact, we have, I've interviewed you like three or four times now through (laughs) the local news and I'm so excited to have you on my own show.
1: I'm excited to be here.
0: It's so funny too because you know we've done a couple interviews throughout the pandemic about your job and your experience. But the first time we met was actually at I think a Goodwill um, because you were doing a thrift shopping segment. Yes. Which is just so funny. Like, that's how we connected and how it's blossomed. And we've become friends over the past couple of years. Uh, But I feel like I also want people to know that, like, you're not just an ICU nurse. You are, like, such an eclectic person. Like, you have all these interests that you're always sharing on social media, which I absolutely love.
1: Yeah, I definitely have a lot of interest, that is for sure. (laughs) My Instagram like can't decide if it wants to be like music or outdoors or like public health. (laughs) It's all over the place. It's all of it. Yeah. (laughs) It's all
0: the parts of your personality. And speaking of, we like to start these interviews with a look at our guest's birth chart. I think it's more fun than you just diving into your resume or, you know, telling us what you do for a living. Um, we'll get into that, but yeah. you said you've never had a birth chart reading before, right?
1: No, and I've seen you do this, and I am
0: very excited. <laughs> I am so excited to, we'll just do a little snapshot. It won't be a super in-depth reading um, because we could probably be here forever, but I want to just hide that there. Okay, so we know you're a Scorpio, right? You know this. Yes. Have you Have you done your sun, moon, rising, or is that all you know about astrology so far?
1: That's all I know about astrology.
0: (laughs) Okay, so exciting. So not only are you a Scorpio sun, but you're actually a Scorpio moon as well. And so am I. So we have something in common. Um, And so that means you were probably born right around a new moon, probably right before a new moon, like a day or two before. Uh, or maybe just a couple hours even, but your moon sign rules your internal self. So your sun sign is more like your personality, um, and you're a very passionate person, very on par for Scorpio. Also, I find that Scorpio placements, specifically Scorpio moons, are very musically inclined people. Like a ton of pop stars have Scorpio moons, uh, which I think is so perfect because you – I mean, I don't know if I want to say you used to be a singer. You are a singer.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was a singer before I I was a nurse. I did that. (laughs) I mean, I lived in L.A. for 12 years. I had a band. I, like, did the whole thing. I have albums.
0: (laughs) And if people want to listen, your your stage name, remind me of it again. It's, like, Lady K, Uh, Lady Catherine. Lady Catherine, yes. Yes. I <laughs> love this so much. You actually, um, you have a stellium in Scorpio as well. So you also, it looks like, have Pluto in, or was that Mercury? Hold on. I got to scroll down because the, they're all looped together. So you have Pluto and Libra, Venus and Scorpio also. Okay. All so Scorpios. Yeah, yeah. So when you have three or more planets in a sign, it's known as a stellium, which means like you're going to express as very Scorpio and having Venus in Scorpio too, like you're probably drawn to Scorpio energy. Maybe you like having Scorpios around you as well. But Scorpio is kind of the most deeply feeling sign of the Zodiac. Like you have a lot going on inside of you, you know, which is probably why you're so artistic um, because Scorpios are very creative as well. Um, But you also have quite a bit of Libra energy with Pluto and Libra and your north node is in Libra and Libra can be indecisive a little bit, which is kind of funny that you've like changed direction a lot of different (laughs) times because the north node is the direction we're heading, the lessons we're learning. and. Libra has to do with like beauty and balance as well. So learning lessons about balance throughout your life. But I think that's funny that it's in Libra and you're just kind of like, well, we'll just see where- we will do this for now. <laughs> I'll do that for now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then your Mercury, I think is in Sagittarius. Yeah. Right on the cusp of Sagittarius. So Mercury and Sag is interesting. As a communicator, you might be a little bit more like spontaneous or impulsive with your words. You kind of like might be known for kind of like blurting things out, um, but also it makes you more like outgoing and expressive in that way. So that can be that can be really nice. And I think also being like a performer and being willing to put yourself out there, having Mercury and Sagittarius is a strong placement. But your rising sign, so your sun, moon, rising are kind of your big three. We always talk about your sun is in Scorpio, your moon is in Scorpio. Your rising sign is like your first impression or kind of like your your aura, like what you kind of put out when people first meet you. And it sets the stage for your whole chart. And your rising sign is in Pisces. So pisces the past couple weeks while the sun has been in pisces there's probably been a lot of focus on like your appearance your purpose how you're showing up in the world but having a pisces rising means like the energy you're putting out or the first impression you're giving off is very gentle and empathetic and compassionate and i would say this makes you i mean i've never been your patient but as a nurse having a pisces rising it's very healing energy to you know, I'm not sure if you've ever heard patients like compliment you on your bedside manner, but I would imagine you have an amazing bedside manner because of your Pisces rising. Yeah. <laughs> I'm <laughs> yeah, all I
1: here for this. I'm like, tell me more.
0: <laughs> yes. Okay. All these so things let's...
1: are like exactly right. It's so weird.
0: I it's love so it. So cool. <laughs> uh, so your Jupiter. Is in your fourth house in Cancer, which is very interesting um, because that to me screams like fertility and abundance. But I I don't know if that's uh, something you necessarily want in your life, but if you wanted children, I would say you would be very fertile. Um, And just family, also, you know, Jupiter is kind of like it it magnifies everything it touches. It's very abundant, very optimistic. So I would say even if it's not you becoming a mother, you probably have a very positive relationship with your mother um, or family, your roots, your home is very important to you. And you've had a lot of um, fortune when it comes to that part of your life, the family who raised you or creating your own family. Mm. And let's see, your... Mars is in Leo so that gives you a lot of stamina and energy. Mars is uh, you know our energy, our drive, our motivation and being in Leo a would again make you a great performer. Leo' is very performative but also you have like a fiery passion for things and when you're yeah. really passionate about something, you're gonna go like all in towards it uh, and and not look back. you know that's what Mars and Leo tells me. And then your Saturn, I believe, is also in Leo. Let me just double check because you got a lot of things right on the cusp. Yeah. So 29 degrees Leo. So I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard of Saturn returns, um, but we go through our Saturn return. Basically, between like 27, 28 and 30, 31. That's how long it takes for Saturn to make a lap around the sun and come back to the same place it was when you were born. So, with your Saturn being in your sixth house in Leo, I would say probably right around the time you were just about to turn 30, there was a change to or some sort of lesson learned to your routine or your habits. And if I had to guess, I would say this has to do with you being a performer. Um, because Leo is more of like that performative energy. It's definitely like, you know, very magnetic and wants to put itself out there and the performer of the Zodiac. So I would, I would guess sometime in that age range was when you kind of decided to change your, the structure, the routines of your life and maybe away from performing because it's the very end of Leo, there could have been like some closure there. Not sure if that tracks, but that's what I I would guess. I was married.
1: I got married when I was 28, and I got – I don't know. I was only married for seven months. Um, It's a crazy story, but (laughs) (laughs) we can talk about that later. But after uh, my – that husband, that husband, uh, was a British guitar player. (laughs) Oh, okay. and he he was totally crazy. And um, after that ended, um, I sort of started to focus on my own music. I was already focusing on my own music, but that's when I really um, started learning how to play guitar more, so that I could support myself like alone and perform with a band. And I start I created Lady Catherine, like basically just after
0: that. Interesting. And-
1: yeah it is interesting,
0: <laughs> okay. So it did have to do with like performing but maybe not ending it, maybe just starting a new chapter of it or some lessons coming from you know that relationship forcing you to change years when it came to that part of your life. Um, yeah. but I always like bring out people's Saturn's because it's like Saturn return is always uh you know it's always a rough patch of life where we learn some lessons, so um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then your midheaven is in Sagittarius. That's the highest point of your chart. And it tells you where you're going to like achieve the highest point of success in your career, like the most potential in your career. And it being in Sagittarius, it's all about higher learning and sharing what we're learning. And so um, I think it's really cool that you're kind of stepping into that role with your schooling and Um, You know, I, I know we'll talk about this a little bit later, but you're kind of moving away from being a nurse and into a nurse practitioner, right? Yeah. And kind of into more preventative medicine, which is more about like sharing what you've learned and putting out information, Sagittarius rules publishing. Um, And so it's, it's, it opposes Gemini. Gemini is more about gathering the information, whereas Sagittarius is more about like sharing the information. Mm. Also Sagittarius rules like travel, long-term travel. So you know, that could come up for you as well when it comes to your career and the potential there. Mm. So, yeah. But bottom line is you have a lot of Scorpio energy. (laughs) (laughs) um, You actually have a grand trine and water signs because you have Jupiter and Cancer too. So emotion, like you're a very emotional being and all of, all of these placements in water signs are like working together to bring balance into your emotions, which is really, really beautiful, especially having a grand trine in water signs. You're probably extremely intuitive and empathetic, I would imagine. you. I don't know if you feel like an empath, but I would guess you are just by looking at your chart. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I think that's my downfall in nursing, actually, is that
1: especially in the icu is that some of those cases can be really 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 difficult and if you are you know prior to being a nurse i was an artist and when you're an artist you're you really are trained to tune into your senses and to tune into like you know your feelings (laughs) and then when you're a nurse it's like if you're too raw some of those situations can you can really take them home with you and they can affect you so anyway Oh, very it,
0: interesting. I think it's so beautiful, too, that you have a Pisces rising um, because I think regardless of your job, you'll always show up as that artist because the Pis- Pisces is a very artistic energy. They can kind of get like lost in a fantasy because they are so artistic and creative. Um, but luckily, you have some some other more uh, like deep placements to kind of bring you back down to this realm or even below. But um <laughs> Yeah, I I just think it's really funny that you're a Pisces rising because even though you're not showing up on Instagram as the singer persona necessarily anymore, I feel like every time you show up, it's very artistic. Like, you just are an artist, you know?
1: (laughs) Well, I appreciate that because I feel like I am one and it's nice to know people perceive me that way, you know? I'm not trying to be anything, just trying to be authentic, so…
0: Well, it's working. So Yay. that's just a little sneak peek at your chart. I'm sure we could go way deeper, uh, but people want to hear about your experience and your story as well. So of oh, watching She's a Pisces Rising too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think since we kind of touched on the fact that you used to be a singer and you lived in LA, I'm really curious to know when you made the decision to become a nurse, because If I remember correctly, you have people in the medical field in your family, right?
1: Yeah, like everyone in my family (laughs) is a nurse. Um, My mom's a nurse, my dad's a nurse. Both of my grandmothers were nurses. I have an aunt that was a nurse in Vietnam, another aunt who is a nurse, a cousin that's a nurse, my other cousins in vet. I mean, if you're not, the joke in my family is that if you're not a nurse, you're a nun or a priest.
0: There's the less of those in my family too.
1: That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> and I was like, Well, I'm not gonna be a nun or a priest.
0: No, so. Scorpio is like, Absolutely not. I will not Absolutely. be a nun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, um, yeah. So my family um was always really pushing me to go that direction, but I was not really drawn to that when I was younger. Um I was always very Bright in high school, and you know, was really driven academically. But I also was really interested in things like photography and journalism, actually. And um, yeah, I was just more drawn to things that were aesthetically pleasing or creative. And I went to college. Sorry if I'm going. You can stop me anytime if I'm going on a Keep tangent. But yeah, I went to college. Um, I went to Boston University for college and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I started off as like a bio major and thought I wanted to do pre-med. And then I went to those courses and it was like, I was just bored. And so, and I I felt like this was the first time I was away from my house and I was in Boston and I wanted an adventure. And so, and I wanted it, I wanted this experience. <laughs> and so anyway, I really didn't know what, I should major in. I, I didn't have a strong sense that I should go one direction over the other. I start. I went to college when I was seventeen, so I was like, I mean, you're so young, you know. Mm-hmm. So in any case, I um I ended up graduating with a, a, a degree in economics because it was the fastest way to graduate. And at a certain point, I was like, okay, I just need to make a decision. And I had all of these credits, and so I got a degree in economics and. I um, was bartending through college um, because I had to. Uh, Boston University was a very expensive college, and my parents couldn't afford it altogether. And they actually went bankrupt after my sophomore year. And so I had to figure out how I was going to graduate quickly. And I started bartending because you can bartend when you're 18 in Boston and uh (laughs) i know like it's so weird (laughs) like i bartended in like a nightclub too it was crazy anyway um i did that and um i was introduced to a lot of different people through um the nightclub scene um and i liked to sing when i was in college i was just something i kind of did i used to write little songs and sing and i started meeting up with different um, music producers and we were making like little dance beats (laughs) in college and then um when i graduated my sister was living in los angeles i moved to los angeles and she was doing acting and i was like i want to do acting and then i i wasn't a very good actress and (laughs) i wasn't i used to get so i still do Um, get so self-conscious and you you have to like walk into a room and they you know tell you to do something absolutely absurd and you know maybe wearing a bikini you know because like auditions are crazy I I could go that's a whole other story but like auditions are insane in Los Angeles it's like a um, audition for smart and smart pop and they want you to like wear a bikini and run around the room and say we're anyway I didn't like it. It didn't feel right. So then I started to focus more on music and I went through many different like I don't know. Um many different versions of um music projects until I finally found one that I really vibed with and I liked the sound, I liked the people, um I liked the style of of music we were producing. And then I named that project Lady Catherine and sort of worked on and developed that over a period of several years with different musicians and one producer. And um, yeah, that was like an entire experience. And it was probably the, the one time I felt like I was most, my most authentic self was when I was doing that.
0: But I was broke. (laughs) <laughs> I was just about to ask, so so why did you stop? Why did you do it first? Uh, And I'm assuming that had something to do with it.
1: Yeah, I think I was in my thirties. I had sort of been doing different artistic projects like acting, commercials, music, and really developing music and had released, I think two albums Almost got a record deal, then didn't. And so um, I was in my, I think I was 30, just after 30, like 32 or something. And I was like, I i have a degree, but I don't know what I want to do. Um, I, I like this music thing, but I'm not making money. And it's really, really, really difficult to put your entire self into something and then You know maybe two or three people come to a show or you don't get all the record sales that you expected or you know then you got to show up to your waitressing job and some managers like nasty to you you know or a customer or whatever so um i just started to become and i also didn't like um when you have to when you're promoting your art you have to talk about yourself all the time like this is what i'm doing this is my show here's my song listen to this you know me 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 and i was uncomfortable with that and so i wasn't very good i was good at creating the music but not very good at marketing the music and um so i decided to go back to school um, my parents of course were like we're nursing no you could do nursing and and then you can just like do the music stuff on the side. You could do like three twelve hour shifts. you could even work part time and make more money than you're making now and you can and of course, I became a nurse, and I think I wrote one e p in Sacramento and recorded it, and then I really haven't uh been working on a lot of music since
0: <laughs> I've been doing a lot of other things. So it's almost like becoming a nurse was kind of like a means to an end. Um, And, you know, it wasn't this like huge calling for you, but you've been a nurse how many years now? Probably like five or six years now? I
1: think seven. I think I became a
0: nurse in
1: 2014, I think. Um, And I've been at Davis for five. And so I think seven-ish, around seven. Um, yeah, it wasn't really, I was very resistant because I knew what it was. I knew what nursing was. That was what my parents did. That was boring. That's not what I was going to do. And, um, and then when I started doing clinicals and when I actually took my first job as a nurse, I realized that you, you had this like, I had a job where I was on my feet. Every day was different. I had the opportunity to do something that was really, truly needed. And wanted, and that people for the most part appreciated uh, what I did, and that I could make a difference in people's lives. It wasn't like they had to go listen to my song and that might trigger something for them. It was like I could make a difference right there in the moment with a person by having an authentic human connection. And that was really valuable to me. So, and then I just, you know continue to get more and more into nursing and and found myself in the ICU um, which is where which is where you go if you're really wanting <laughs> a challenge
0: <laughs> i was going to say for somebody who wasn't like sold on nursing the ICU seems like the most intense nursing environment you could possibly be in yeah. and i do think it's interesting that to the scorpio and he was like We have to do like the most intense version of this job you know like can't just be like a a fun like you gotta go all in yeah (laughs) that's very (laughs) cool um so how did you find yourself in the icu and how did you know like that was kind of the place for you i
1: um i think i always wanted more when i started nursing like my mom my parents were both or nurses so i very much knew what operating room. I mean, obviously, I didn't have a personal experience of what that was like, except for very limited experience in nursing school, trying it out. But I knew what that was about, and I knew what floor nursing was about. And I knew that that was mostly just like passing meds and, you know, um, passing food trays, ambulating patients, walking them around. Um, But not a lot of like real medicine, not a lot of like care management. And ICU is like you have all of this advanced life saving equipment and you have to understand how to use it you're using all these different uh, complex medical management um, of patients which is also you know you have to understand how that works in the body and um, you're also dealing with very unstable patients so you have to understand the physiologic the physiology of um you know humans and how these different interventions that you're doing work in the body and you also have to alert the doctors because they're not there all the time you're the one that's there with the patient so you have to know when it's appropriate to alert the doctors and i just i don't know i found the whole thing very fascinating i still do i love the medicine in the icu um I, I love managing patients. I like it when my patients are extremely ill because it's a, I mean, I don't like it for them, obviously, but um, it's a real academic challenge for me <laughs> and I like that. So, um, but there are other parts of it that are difficult sometimes because at the end of the day, that's somebody's loved one who's in a really bad place and oftentimes um they don't understand the interventions i mean it took me many many years and a lot of training to understand all of these things and it's and it's often a challenge to try to explain what we're doing and what that means and you know what the prognosis is and all of that so
0: yeah it's interesting because we touched on this in your chart um Scorpio also loves research. So, you know, there's probably part of you that has like this insatiable curiosity, right? Like always wanting to learn more, always wanting to go deeper. And it's also interesting Mm. because Pisces, your rising sign tends to rule medicine and hospitals. So like Mm. you literally physically showing up in hospitals makes sense, but the combination of all the water in your chart, like we talked about makes you extremely empathetic. And, um, You know, I actually, one of my friends, her business partner used to be a nurse and she was so highly empathetic that like she almost like psychic when it came to medicine, like she could feel like a gunshot wound coming into the emergency room. And she had to Mm. stop being a nurse because she was like, I, it's, it's too much. It's too stressful. Yeah. Right. And if you were like actually feeling these really intense medical emergencies, like in your own body, how can you take care of other people? So what do you do? And like, how have you been able to navigate that sense of empathy and like being able to feel maybe on a more sensitive level, what some of your coworkers might not be able to? Um, I mean, I think
1: I do everything I possibly can to take care of myself. I eat a healthy diet. I try to get sleep I get exercise as often as I can. I, you know, do things that get me in touch with the outdoors, like backpacking and hiking and rock climbing, because I feel like that's a really important part of being grounded and centered. And, um, you know, I just generally try to take care of myself. I also try to limit um, my exposure to, you know, people who are toxic influences in my life and Um, I try to do things that are healing for me, like, you know, give myself little home facials or, you know, we have like a bath in our garden.
0: (laughs) I I love that.
1: (laughs) So sometimes I take like outdoor baths. I mean, ridiculous self-care things, um, definitely get me through. Um, but that doesn't mean there aren't cases that don't, you know, affect me and I also feel like it is important to show up for your patients and their families. Um, There's a thing in nursing called, or in I guess medicine, um, in healthcare, called compassion fatigue. And a lot of people are obviously struggling with that now because we just went through this like crazy period that sort of seems to be resolving a little bit. But um, you know, a lot of people saw a lot of terrible things happen to a lot of people. <laughs> so um, I think that was difficult for people to experience the pandemic in the hospital as it was happening and also all the other changes that were happening in their personal lives.
0: And that's really why I wanted to bring you on to talk about the pandemic. It's something that, you know, I think a lot of people are over it, right? Like yeah. they literally just don't want to talk about it anymore. And I'm I over really it. <laughs> yeah, right like and it's okay to say that it's yeah. totally especially i'm sure there's part of you for a long time as a nurse that was like okay well i have to kind of like almost be a representative for healthcare workers yeah. and um you know it's exhausting for a normal person i can't even imagine what it would be like when you're still going to work every day and having to like medically deal with people going through covid when you're like over all of the lifestyle changes that we've been going through you know? Um, so that's really why I wanted to bring you on to share your perspective because I think people are at this point where we're like, okay, we just want to be done with it. But it's like, there's still a lot of healing that needs to be done for all of us. Like there's a lot that the pandemic brought up, not just medically, but emotionally and with security issues, food security, emotional security. And, um, you know, I think hearing your perspective and like understanding that there are people who can't just turn off the TV and pretend it's not happening, Mm -hmm. I think we can all have a little bit more compassion and empathy for everyone's experience. But there's something you touched on about having so much knowledge and doing so much research. And, you know, sometimes families don't understand the interventions you're giving. Has that been something that's come up for you specifically around coronavirus? Because there's so much information, so much misinformation. So many people have such strong opinions about what's right, what's wrong, what's healthy, what's fake news, what's real news. Mm -hmm. I would imagine there's a lot of conflict around that when you're treating patients sick with this disease. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think coronavirus definitely... um, exaggerated those problems that we have in healthcare, in that you have providers and caregivers who have knowledge, and you have patients who often have a knowledge deficit. And we're not always very good at communicating our knowledge. And in order for you know a patient to trust a provider or anybody in the caregiving team, um, they need to believe you. <laughs> And uh, there was a lot of misinformation and false data running around that wasn't evidence based, and people were, you know, speaking as if it were, um, and it was confusing a lot of people. It continues to confuse a lot of people. Um, so, yeah, I, it was it was challenging. I mean, I remember we would have patients in the ICU. We're very, very, very ill. Probably, you know, near death. We're um, paralyzed. They're on a ventilator. Multiple medications to support their blood pressure. We're running continuous dialysis because their blood pressure was so low. I mean, this person would die in five minutes if they weren't hooked up to all these things, right? And people would call the ICU and say, "Oh, well, you should be giving them ivermectin," and we were like. When are we going to stop with this ivermectin stuff, guys? Like, it's not evidence based. It's not like we would give it if there was quality evidence that was showing that this was making a difference. But there's some small observational studies that, you know, showed some promise and it wasn't well researched. And we're giving other things that are well researched. But anyway, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of, um, different opinions out there about how different disease processes should be managed, but at the end of the day, um, you need to be able to trust your provider and trust that we are practicing evidence-based medicine in this country, and that um, if your provider isn't
0: practicing evidence-based medicine,
1: then they might be um, negatively impacting you.
0: And I think this is a great opportunity to talk about science and evidence, right? Mm-hmm. Because there has also been this huge wave in the past year specifically of like trust science, which I'm all for science. I mean, we all learn science. Like there's a reason we use science in every part of our lives. Yeah. But I think it's really interesting because science is like an, op- it's observational, right? It's like you have to do yeah. study. To trust science. Yes. And so I feel like with everything um, during this pandemic, I mean, politically, scientifically, there's been so much division. It's so divisive. And people are kind of in these like camps now, or it's yes. created so much division. But how do you view science and the importance of science when it comes to like research and evidence and how people have been just like using it almost politically? Like science is some like political platform.
1: Well, I think in, um, in the context of coronavirus, it is an evolving process, right? It's a very new virus. So we're collecting information and it's changing as we go. And so I think that that is confusing for the public because they're like, no, you said this initially and now we're doing it this way. But what about, you know, so I think people have to understand that as we collect more data and we get better data, we implement the better data so and that's with anything that happens um i think uh it's been i've so i've been in school for the last three years to be a nurse practitioner which is um basically a primary care provider so that's who you would go to as your uh, you know your your doctor if you wanted i don't know anything if you if you had a cold or you need to be referred because you felt like you hurt your knee or anyway um, so I have to be able to interpret all of the different uh, medical information that's out there and get you where you need to go. And I need to be able to interpret your symptoms and assess you and, you know, look at your lab studies and be able to say definitively, yes, this, these are the conditions that you have and this is how you treat them. And how I get to that conclusion is driven by evidence-based research. Feel like you're that frozen again. Oh, there you are.
0: <laughs> okay. I'm just, I'm just listening. I'm taking it all in. Um, okay. But yeah, I, I just think it's so interesting, like how we've, how science has evolved to this. I mean, everything has been so politically charged, and I do feel like we're kind of coming away from that, and thing the dust is kind of settling. But mm-hmm. then I have to ask you, you know, when you see, like just a couple weeks ago, like China shutting down again. Do you have for me? I mean, I almost have this like trauma response of like, no, (laughs) no, like, no, 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 that's not happening. Like, I can't handle that. You know. So, as someone who like is literally dealing with this, I don't have to go to work and deal with it anymore. At least, Um, what when you see new information like that come out, do you get a little bit like nervous or scared, or do you kind of have those responses too?
1: You know, it's very interesting because i don't get nervous anymore about any of it and i i don't know why that is i don't know if that's because i'm vaccinated and i just feel like you know okay this is less of a risk for me now or i don't or because i had covid and i'm like oh well i had it i didn't get all of these horrible terrible things so maybe i'll be okay if i have it again Um, And also our numbers are down in the hospital, like way, way down. So um, for me, I try to take all the information that's coming in around me and especially look in my immediate community and try to see like, okay, are things starting to escalate again? Are they going down? And right now we're definitely on a downtrend. It's possible there could be a new variant. It's possible cases could increase. You know, it's possible we could, there could be like a whole other virus that comes along, or we have a nuclear war. I mean, I, and <laughs> not to be crazy, but like, uh, I think life is always throwing these obstacles at you. And um, what coronavirus taught us is that you can't depend on anything to remain static, and you have to be able to adapt and adjust and find ways to cope with the challenges that life throws at you otherwise you're just going to be a broken human
0: wow okay well that was beautifully said i mean um yeah i i would love to talk to you about that actually because i know when you had covid you've been vaccinated you'd been boosted of course i mean i'm guessing you were kind of blindsided by testing positive just because you guys test all the time. You've taken all these precautions. And I think that's something people can relate to, honestly. Like, I know so many people who did everything right. You know, they took all the precautions, they got vaccinated, they listened to the CDC's advice, and they still ended up getting COVID or testing positive and not having the symptoms, which I'm grateful, knock on wood, that that hasn't happened to me. Um, but I can imagine it would be extremely frustrating because like, you know, it is uncertain and you're trying to adapt and you feel like, like you did everything right. And then, you know, you still have to deal with something you thought you wouldn't have to deal with. So what was that like for you? I know, I remember watching your stories at the very beginning and I saw that Scorpio come out. You were like pissed. You were pissed. I was mad. I was was very mad. I was mad for you. I was like, Heather should not, this. she should have to deal with this, you know? I was mad for like so many different
1: reasons. And at the end of the day, it's like, why Why was I even mad? I mean, <laughs> because this thing at, at that point, so it was the Omicron variant and it was everywhere like it was very clear that this thing was like going through the population like mad and it was gonna get everyone and except for you apparently and my (laughs) husband's
0: and And your husband is um a healthcare worker also right he's a respiratory therapist yeah
1: like yeah (laughs) he like literally sees all the covid patients but um yeah so i um i was at i think we went out to dinner justin and i went out to dinner and i had um a work like skills day and then i had a a 12-hour shift at work and there were a few people on my unit whose like family members were sick and they were at work because the policies were changing and then there was somebody who was probably had or definitely had covid but wasn't hadn't tested yet positive and so i was like oh man this is coming for me it's coming for me i'm going down and then i remember i went home after being around like a bunch of sick people and um i got like super flushed like i was bright red and i was like is this coronavirus is that what this is and then i called my mom and i didn't have any tests and i was like i think i need a test because i have to go back to work and (laughs) and if i have coronavirus i don't want to be in the icu like taking care of somebody who doesn't have it and like and i actually sorry this is i'm rambling but I was taking care of a very sick patient who didn't have coronavirus, and I was concerned that I may have given it to him. Um, I didn't. They tested him, so it was all good, but um, yeah, and I was very sick. I was very, very sick. I mean, it wasn't like I didn't have any respiratory symptoms, but I had a really serious flu. I was extremely fatigued. I was like sweating like you know soaking wet it was a bad flu and i could see how that could go wrong for some people (laughs) yeah also i've also been sort of battling um for what it's worth um my my labs have been uh have shown that i have a low white count and a low neutrophil count and this has been over the course of the last three or actually five years And so that's something called um, neutropenia. And I have a suppressed, like that's, you know, based on textbook analysis, I have a suppressed immune system. And so I was concerned that it might affect me um, poorly. And I've obviously taken care of a lot of patients who, you know, have been, have suffered really terrible symptoms. And sometimes those symptoms don't present themselves until like day 10. And so I was nervous. I was nervous.
0: I can only imagine, like, having seen the sickest patients, knowing you have the same thing and, you know, what that would do to your mind, you know? Yeah. Um, even like at the very, very beginning, before this was even called a pandemic, I think March 2020, so before we were wearing masks, before mm-hmm. there was any shutdown my partner my boyfriend got COVID, and we mm. had no idea like he was out sick from work for a week but i was telling him the whole time like i think you're just sick i think you just have a flu there's no way to get yeah. tested right now anyway he's like should i go to the hospital i'm like not unless you're dying they don't have anything to do for you there yeah. you know and it was he was miserable like miserable sweating but freezing yeah. and um you know it's he just we didn't have anything to do, and I this is before like I said there were any protocols, so he's home from work, but I'm still going to work every day, you know, I'm like taking care of him and still going into work yeah every day there was no like hey, he should get tested or maybe you should stay home too none of that and so and I was just surprised like I didn't have the same symptoms like i'm I, I know I was exposed, do you know what I mean yeah. like I know um I just I was sleeping next to him every night. He was yeah. Know, I know I was exposed. So it's it's so wild to see how it affects people so differently. And I really think until you see someone experiencing extreme symptoms like that, you truly can't have empathy for it. I, I really no. don't think you can because you know I family members have had it and they're like yeah it sucked. And hearing you, it's like yeah it sucks. But until you really see someone, and it's I mean he never had extreme enough symptoms to get medical help or anything just a bad clue but even so it was so terrible and nothing made made him feel better and so I mean I just I appreciate you kind of sharing your symptoms and sharing what you were going through even though you were like pissed off the whole time I really (laughs) I do because I think it it helps people understand like why all of this information is out there, why it's important to protect yourself, however feels best for you, you know, why it's important to protect other people who are more vulnerable. Um, and I think it's been a huge wake-up call to people about their own immune systems. Like, it really is kind of like a, how, how secure is my own immune system against fighting not just this disease, but every disease? You know, I think people have really woken up to that. So, have you noticed that as well like people just viewing their health differently over the past couple of years?
1: Well, I certainly view my health differently and I, I hope that other people are more aware of their health because it's true that if you do take care of your your vessel that carries you through life that you are going to have you're going to reduce your risk for Chronic disease and illness. And so it's really that simple. I mean, I think, you know, because I'm active and I eat a healthy diet and I, you know, try to get sleep and do all of those interventions that we talked about earlier, I think I'm a pretty healthy person. I have pretty good labs and I did okay with this thing. Um, The patients that I see, for the most part, that do really poorly are not, are typically not as healthy as I am. There are some exceptions, however, um, but yeah, I think, I think taking care of your body and your mind and your spirit are essential to your overall health and well-being.
0: Absolutely, I want to talk to you about um, kind of the spiritual component of all of this because I know you are a spiritual person. You've oh, been nice. posting more tarot cards on your Instagram. <laughs> which I am loving. I'm obsessed uh,
1: right now. It's out of. I'm out of control. I have too many decks.
0: <laughs> I love it. I'm so excited. Um, I tarot is and just oracle cards in general. I feel like it's like the most fun way to, you know, communicate with spirit or whatever you want to call it. Like dip your foot um, in. Yeah, it really like, is. And and I do want to point out too, the necklaces we're wearing Heather made while she was sick with COVID or recovering from yes. COVID. Uh, totally the artist in you. You're like, I need to create something, I need to do something. And they're all made out of crystals, which is so amazing. Yeah, um, I
1: like I had was very drawn to them. I was like, I had no energy and I wanted to do something creative that I could like do in my bed. <laughs> and I ordered a bunch of beads and I don't know why I was just very drawn to stones and I am in in general I like to rock climb I like to backpack I like to have like earth I like to garden I like the earth around me and um I wanted to like wear them I wanted to like have you know quartz and I don't know, Labradorite and various, whatever I wanted that day, I wanted it on me, like physically touching my skin. And I wear these necklaces like constantly. I wear them, you know, to bed. I don't take them off. I just like put one on and then I leave it until I decide that I want a different one.
0: (laughs) Before we started uh, this live stream, I was telling Heather, like, I love crystals. I I have them all around me all the time, (laughs) but wearing them is different because I notice with necklaces, especially like if I'm feeling something intense and I put a crystal necklace on my whole like vibe changes, you know, like I can literally feel it in my field or in my aura, like it's kind of regulating. So I, I love that like post COVID during COVID, you just started getting into all of these like spiritual modalities i think there there is some weird interesting connection that i don't even know if it can be explained but during the past two years the amount of people who have gotten into spirituality through astrology or crystals or even yoga is mind-blowing and i don't know if it's the environment of the pandemic of people needing to believe in something needing to reach for good energy or if on some weird energetic level like covid wakes people up. I don't I don't know. But um, have you noticed that as well? Like how many more people are getting into spirituality in the past couple of years? Well, I think that, uh, you know, we all had to go into
1: our homes. And so just prior to the pandemic, I think we were in this like raging social media, like overstimulation from external from the external world, like not coming from, not censored, just like just receiving data constantly, right? Like little snippets of data. And COVID made people have to like retreat into themselves and kind of stop their like typical patterns and routines. And I think they had to like analyze what was important for them. Like who were the people that matter what are the things that matter? Um, and and I think tapping into spirituality and spiritual energy is a part of that, right? Like we want to feel like we're all connected. And so um, and we want to feel in touch with ourselves. So I don't know I don't know exactly why people are feeling the need to like revisit their, there or center themselves. But I think that's what people are doing. They're just centering themselves.
0: I think you're right. And I think it was this level of stillness too. For a lot Mm. of people, we had to just sit still and wait. And it's, I think you have to find some semblance of stillness to open yourself up to a connection to a power greater than yourself, whatever that looks like for you. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think when you, like you said before the pandemic and like Court said the same thing, I was so burned out before the pandemic, so much anxiety. It's like, there was this pressure to do all the things and be everywhere and go to all the events and not say no. And yeah. it's like, almost gave us this permission slip to be like, nope, my energy is the most important thing. You know, yeah, connections I have that are really solid connections are the most important thing, not all the like trivial friendships or acquaintances or, or whatever. So I think it's it's really um, kind of wild how many people are getting into spirituality and I'm here for it. But I have to ask you if your sense of spirituality has changed throughout this pandemic, especially dealing with people who are on the verge of death. You know, I think that Being an an ICU nurse,
1: I always see tragic cases, whether it's coronavirus or it's somebody having a heart attack or whatever. Um, Obviously, coronavirus was like a whole new set of challenges and a lot of very, very, very sick patients that were sicker than we've ever seen before um, and some that were young and that was hard. Um, But generally speaking, the people that I see are very sick. (laughs) And I think, that has been a gift for me because it, it allows me to appreciate uh, or have more appreciation for all of the things that I have, um, like my health, you know, a, a beautiful relationship with my husband, like amazing animals, you know, and freedom, just all, ty- all types of um, things that people don't have when their health is failing um, and when they're ill. And so I just try to really appreciate life and live life to its fullest
0: because we all should be doing that. (laughs) And we really never know when it's over, you know, COVID or not. You really never know what's going to happen in the next five minutes. As much as we like to think we're in control, we have no idea what's going to happen. But, you know, it's... I interviewed uh, this woman a couple weeks ago who's a medical medium and she's had her own near-death experiences that kind of opened her up to clairvoyance and all of these things. And I'm curious, when you're dealing with people, I mean, I would venture to guess you have seen people not make it. You have seen- Oh, yeah. So many. (laughs) Do you notice anything? You know, there's like this- Yeah. This belief or um, rumor or whatever that like- your spirit weighs a certain amount because your body weighs a different amount after you die. You know, there's lots of different like theories and things going around. What's your take on, I mean, have you watched someone's spirit leave their body? Like, what is that like?
1: Yeah, it's funny because I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day, but uh, oftentimes in the ICU, we are transitioning um, someone from being on life support to not being on life support and ultimately they they will pass right because without all these interventions and medications continuously running the person isn't able to make it on their own so um for whatever reason many different reasons that could be the case um and sometimes that person is not I get the sense, I don't know how to describe this, but I get the sense that that person is no longer in the room. Their body's there. I just had a patient the other day that was like this. Um, I can't really describe the details of the case, unfortunately, because it would be really interesting if I could. But um, this patient's family was having a really hard time grasping the fact that, you know, they were not, the team was saying this is medically futile. There there was no way that we could save this patient. And um, we had had multiple family meetings about it, you know, trying to describe why that was the case. Because they, you know, they look in the room and they see their loved one on a ventilator and they see the chest, you know, rising and falling because we're delivering breasts. And they assume that that person is alive. But I had been taking care of this person and I didn't feel like, they were there. And I've felt that before, um, multiple times where I just, you know, that person was gone, their body was there, but their their spirit was gone. And um there are some times when I don't feel that and a patient is very critically ill, and I will often indicate to their family if I feel that like they're still there, you know, to not give up, to, you know, continue you know, that I've seen crazy things happen in this place, but there's also situations when I know that they're not there anymore. Mm -hmm. Certain, Like I'm certain
0: about it. Is there ever, has there ever been a moment where you notice like, you know, you were treating this patient one day and then you walk in and it's just energetically different. Like you can just kind of tell, or I know sometimes people who are close to death, um, There's like this great Netflix series where I think it's called Near Death and they talk about how people when they're very close to the end, if they're still somewhat conscious, they start talking to people on the other side or they get visits from people on the other side Mm and maybe they just seem out of it. But have you ever like noticed any, I don't want to say like a spiritual intervention like that where a patient is like speaking to someone who's not there or very clearly like getting ready to leave their body? um yeah i mean i
1: i literally have watched people um so part of being an icu nurse during withdrawal of care is delivering them medications that help them not suffer um when they're actively dying and because sometimes obviously they're you remove life support and people don't pass immediately right like it could take hours it could take days in some cases And so you don't want that person to be suffering for a prolonged period of time. So we give them medications that help with pain and secretions and stuff like that. And there's typically a point in time when, you know, if the person is conscious, because sometimes um, patients are not intubated, they're not on a ventilator, they're able to speak and talk, but they just don't want to be hooked up to all the machines that keep them going anymore. And so they'll go from being very lucid And then we will withdraw um, like blood pressure support medicine and they'll slowly decline and they'll go from being awake and interacting with their family to like not there at some point, even though they're still alive, but their spirit leaves. And they're usually, I mean, I don't, there's not like a certain point. It's more fluid, but there is a transition that definitely happens from, you know, A spirit being present to a spirit not being present. And I don't really know. I'm not an expert. I don't know how to describe it, but there's a difference. There's a difference in the end. There's an energy shift.
0: And I I don't think anyone can really be more of an expert, honestly, other than Mm -hmm. people who maybe have like the ability to speak to people on the other side or um, communicate with people on the other side. But you are someone who has this experience that 99.9% of people don't have of helping Mm. people, in a sense, cross over, you know, helping Mm -hmm. people leave their bodies, leave this reality behind. Um, How has that changed your relationship with death? Yeah, I have this really interesting saying
1: that I use, and I, I think I made it up. But it's that sometimes the miracle is the end of suffering so i often use that phrase with um patients who or family members really because the patient's already not going to make it and i usually know that at that point but i i use that with the family to help them come to terms with the acceptance of their the loss of their loved one um i have watched a lot of families lose their loved ones and typically the decision to withdraw care is the most difficult time. Once we withdraw care and they see that the process is peaceful and they understand that their loved one won't suffer anymore, um, there's usually, uh, the healing can begin. So I'm not really afraid of death. I think death is very much a part of life. Um, But I don't know what happens Next.
0: <laughs> I don't think any of us do anything there. You know, that's yeah. a great mystery. Where do we go? Um, yeah, but that's that's beautifully said. And I just I'm so thankful that there are people like you in our hospitals who we're all gonna get there at some point. It might not be in a hospital, it might not be in the ICU, but we're all gonna yeah. get there at some point. And I just would love to take a moment, not just for you, but for anybody, you know, I have friends who are firefighters and they're dealing with the same thing a lot of the time going out to accidents and things like that where you're with people at their very last moments and Mm. I think at the beginning of COVID and the pandemic we were all so like we have to support our healthcare workers and you know they're angels and all these things and as the fatigue has set in and people are over talking about it it's like we forget it's not just about covid it's it's about health in general it's about protecting ourselves in general and also just because covid numbers might be down doesn't mean that you guys still aren't facing really difficult things every day and having to hold that space for people in their hardest moments all the time and so mm-hmm. i just really want to acknowledge that with you and just anyone else who works in the healthcare field like it's not an easy job and it takes no a strong person to be able to go back to that every day. Like I said, there's uh, a friend of a friend who had to stop being a nurse because she, like, energetically could not handle the the trauma coming in. So, um, yeah, I just I really want to acknowledge that not just for you, but for everybody who has who has continued to show up to work. Have you seen people leaving the medical industry? Like I know for me in the news industry, everyone and their mother is leaving the news industry. <laughs> Um, for a lot of different reasons, not just yeah. the pandemic, but it's like the past two years have been this like boiling point that have not just with certain industries, but the great resignation, people leaving their jobs, people realizing what's really important to them. Has that happened in the medical field as well?
1: Oh, completely.
0: There are, I, I would say, um,
1: I work in an ICU that's right next to another ICU and the staff on both of our units is like half difference <laughs> on both of those units there's been a lot of changes not i don't personally know anybody that i work with that has completely left nursing but they've certainly left the icu um it's a hard job it's a really hard job but it's also a really great job so if there's you know i think i think the pandemic sort of just made everybody look at their value system and what really mattered to them and if there was anything in their life that they were doing that didn't match up with their value system or they were looking for a change that was the moment they decided to integrate it you know it's like Mm -hmm. here's your opportunity life's short Let's so true do you
0: (laughs) it's so true i mean here i am you know the last time we did I was in a completely different place in my life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so much has changed. Are you hopeful now that we're kind of coming out of this? and, like you said, cases are down in your hospital. You're not seeing as many people coming in with Covid. Are you hopeful that we're gonna be able to kind of maybe not completely close the door but put this behind us? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think we're we're at that place right now. Our cases in the hospital are are you know very low they're the lowest they've ever been um which is promising things can change but hopefully we have better ways to adapt you know everybody has their masks ready to go
0: <laughs> yeah a whole drawer full of them seriously just in case There's
1: um, <laughs> so many in this top drawer of my dresser and i'm like what do i do with these right now <laughs> right um, I don't think the healthcare industry is ever going to be the same um, or industry, whatever. I don't, I don't know if it's an industry, but I don't think it's ever going to be the same. I don't think we're going to be taking masks off there anytime soon, Um, which is a change. You know, we used to go to work with our hair down and, you know, no mask and treating patients and that's not happening now. But, you know, um, I am hopeful that this chapter Is closing. Um, I do think that we should take this opportunity to revisit our our health as a nation um, because we have some really really bad habits um, especially in the form of diet and exercise. Um, It probably isn't being helped by this you know uh, social media culture where everybody's glued to a computer but I think we need to um, stop focusing and relying on doctors and medicine to save us and start focusing on what how we can take responsibility for our own health. And that will really prevent, you know, you from getting a whole host of conditions.
0: <laughs> right, it's not just COVID we all have to worry no. about. You know, there's, the flu every year but even more so like there's, there's so many things heart i don't cardiac like cardiac
1: disease that. i mean like heart disease is like the number one killer diabetes is raging like there's cancer still exists you know there's um hype you know high cholesterol levels uh people are dying of heart attacks all of the time and you know they don't even know that they have any type of issues until they have a heart attack and then it severely um, affects their quality of life. So everybody's gonna, gonna going to encounter a healthcare problem or need at some point in their in their life. Um, and hopefully you're living a lifestyle that is is health forward or promotes your own health and, and you're not doing yourself a disservice by putting foods and substances in your body that are going to destroy it because you know certainly that causes lots of problems
0: right it's like more of a culture problem than a Mm covet problem i think when it comes to the overall picture of health um you know i was raised in the fast food generation and like it has taken a lot of work and continues to be a lot of work for me to break a lot of the habits that were just kind of fed down through the system of like not knowing what was in our food and just convenience culture and all these things and you know that's a whole topic for another day but i know yeah. you are going into more of preventative medicine and you're about to be or have you graduated you're on the verge of being a nurse practitioner now right yeah i graduate in may i graduate may 21st i'm not counting, <laughs> I'm not counting So at what, all. what then you won't be working in an icu anymore yeah i don't know everybody's asking me this question right now but um
1: the degree that i'm getting is family nurse practitioner, so that i'm trained to be a primary care provider throughout the lifespan like birth to death essentially um I, the schooling for that looks like, you know, you do adult clinic, you do um, uh, OB and you do pediatrics. So I've been doing those things um, for the last three years and you get a certain number of clinical hours and you study all the diseases and the pharmacotherapy and, you know, (laughs) all of the things again, (laughs) again. And um, then I have to sit for my boards and then i get my family nurse practitioner license and basically that enables me to prescribe and manage care um so yeah i there are a lot of things i can do with that um the emphasis of my degree is primary care so that's like you know your neighborhood provider i don't want to say doctor because i always say doctor but i'm not a am do- a nurse practitioner not a doctor but Oftentimes people come into the nurse practitioner's office and they call you doctor. Cause that's what they think you are. Cause that's Cause how you, you're, a <laughs> cause you're doing the things that a doctor has historically done. Right. In primary care. So in any case, that's my degree. Um, but you can also work in acute care with that degree. Um, you can work on different teams in the hospital, um, like the surgery team or, you know, uh, the neurocritical care team or the bone marrow transplant team or the emergency room or so I don't know what I'm gonna do
0: the I think I will
1: have some options <laughs> the possibilities I, are endless the world is my oyster
0: <laughs> okay. well with your resume too it's like yeah know, I feel like you're kind of qualified to work and I need. I could do really.
1: Botox. I can do. I mean, like literally anything. Like I could literally do anything.
0: Well, let me know if you just become like a regular old nurse practitioner because <laughs> I would come to you. I don't right. have a primary care doctor that I'm like super Wailed into. About. So yeah, I would love to come to someone who I like. I'm like, okay, we get along. I trust you. You know. Yeah. It, I, And how important do you think having a relationship like that with a primary care physician is? Because I feel like everybody's always telling me, like, you need to find your primary care physician. And I've just never found one that I'm like, super stoked about.
1: Yeah, I think that you don't, I think that I just wrote a paper on this. (laughs) So um, I think that the most important um, part of a primary care and patient relationship is the communication factor because we always talk about in primary care medicine how getting a good history from your patient is the most important piece of information right like what were you doing what are your symptoms when did this start what are you you know doing to treat these at home and that sort of helps us in the setting of all of this these other diagnostic tests that we're doing create this like a whole picture so obviously the information that you're telling your provider is very important and you need to be comfortable enough to tell your provider that information
0: and so, honest
1: yeah. and honest right because i don't care what drugs you do i just want to know what drugs you do so i can develop my plan of care right or whatever that's just the one example or what foods you eat or whatever i just want to help you get to your healthiest version of yourself with your values so it's not really my job as a provider to tell you what to do, but to formulate a plan that works with your set of circumstances. So it's very important to, to find a provider that you can communicate with and that you feel comfortable with because they're gonna be looking at all of your parts, you know, and like all of your labs, and they're gonna know you better than any other person. And if you're not comfortable with them, you're probably not getting the best care.
0: Yeah, such good advice. Okay, so, I mean, we've talked about everything in this, <laughs> in
1: this conversation.
0: I love it. Is there anything else you feel like people need to know about the pandemic, where we're at, or just your experience in general?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, I would say right now I think, we're, I think things are on the mend. I think we're getting better. If things don't change, if they continue to go the direction that we're going, I think everybody should just take a breath and you know, start healing themselves. I think now we are on a different path and that path is let's let's <laughs> fix all the damage that was done over the last 2 years. Let's do whatever we need to do as human beings to reach out to each other and to, you know, work on ourselves to be the best versions of ourselves and be the best versions for our communities that we can be. Because there is a lot of division um, over the last two years, and I think that, and, and obviously a lot of trauma and sadness and, you know, struggle and challenge. Um, And I think we all just need to give each other a little bit of grace and try to reach out and understand the other side (laughs) and keep moving forward.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's really why I brought you on because I feel like we are at this place of healing and I mean, pointing fingers, blaming anybody for what has happened, how it happened, what could have gone better, what could have been done differently isn't going to get us anywhere now you know it's, right the past is in the past there's nothing we can do and there has been so much collective trauma that we've all experienced mm-hmm. and really the only way to heal that is to build trust with other people again to build trust with ourselves again to build trust with our government again whatever that looks like you know what i yeah, mean like, yeah yeah kind of worms um but yeah I, I really do feel like we're the focus is on healing now and i hope that people take that to heart and and take on that assignment because it's not an easy thing to do to heal. So you And I think to take
1: responsibility for, my sister has this saying, take responsibility for the condition that you're in. So instead of, because you can always point the finger in the opposite direction or away from you, right? That's easy, we all like to do that. But no matter what the challenge is, if you're always asking yourself, How can I take responsibility for this problem? How can I take responsibility for, you know, my part of the solution? Then, you know, you're not pointing fingers and you can actually do something about whatever challenge you're facing. You can't change someone else, but you can certainly, you know, work on yourself.
0: I feel like you're a great example of that too, because you show up on social media and you're just like very real and you (laughs) share your experience, but you also talk about like here, I feel like you're so good at being like, here is what I'm doing to try to make my life better. And I'm going to lead by example and show you how I lead a healthy life. What I do as someone who is seeing the sadness in the world firsthand, like this is what I'm doing to be okay and to be healthy, you know, and I, I really admire that about you. Um, that you do lead by example and you show up and you, you know, you're not afraid to just like put yourself out there and, and be vulnerable and be honest. So I do appreciate that. Oh, well, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So we end all of these, you're going to love this with a card pull. Um, and it's an Oracle deck. It's not a tarot deck, but it's a newer one. It's called the Rose Oracle. I know you have some roses in your garden. Yes. So while I'm shuffling and getting our card ready, I'm just going to pull up your Instagram. I know this is the way that you connect with people best, but if there's anything else you want to (laughs) say just about, uh, you know, how you show up on Instagram, all the fun stuff you post, you always post great stuff about your garden too. Seriously, inspiring me to be a better gardener because I'm not a green thumb. It's not my strong suit, but you are. I love it. I
1: love it. I'm always out there. I was out there all morning today. Um, no, check out, check it out. There's a little something for everyone in my Instagram, I think.
0: <laughs> there really is. Like we talked about at the beginning, you're just like, this is what I feel like. This is the identity I'm going to be today, and this yeah. is the identity I'm going to be tomorrow. And
1: it's just. I think when we first met, I was doing all that stuff for Goodwill, like trying to get people to avoid fast fashion and whatever. Um, I was doing those events. What was my point? Oh, what was my point? (laughs) I don't know. I forgot. But, oh, I had a lot of my Instagram was very like curated. Like it was all these like really fancy, like glamorous pictures of me and these like cool thrifted outfits. Right. And now I'm just like, oh, I'm in school. I'm tired. I'll post this tarot card picture.
0: (laughs) I also have to say, somebody else commented this too. But when you posted this picture. That's my husband and I. I know. I'm like, that straight (laughs) up looks like an illustration of you and
1: your husband. Doesn't it? It's so funny. I picked that. It was like, I did like a, I like to do, I don't know if you do past, present, future.
0: I have. Yeah. But like,
1: so I like to do past, present, future. So I did that for myself. And then there was a card that like flipped over on accident and that like, that was it. And I'm, and I'm not, this is kind of a new deck for me. so. It was a new, I hadn't seen that card before. And I was like, that's Justin and I.
0: (laughs) It's so cute. I I like, I wish you could just like make a copy of it and frame that or something. But I know it's so cute. Got to complete the deck. But yeah, (laughs) I love it. Okay. Are you ready for our card poll? I'm ready. Okay. (sighs) What do we need to know today? Ooh, okay. We pulled the Mystic Rose: Compassion, Devotion, Humility, Humanity, Grace. So, let yay! Me the description on the guidebook the book. already. This has a. Uh, this seems it's like the a theme. <laughs> the theme. I know. For our conversation. I know. I love this deck too because I mean they're all kind of rose themed, but it's very feminine and. Um, you know, somebody told me once, I love roses. I'm very drawn to mm-hmm. roses. Like, I have a ton around my house uh, and, like, growing, you know, in, around mm-hmm. my house with native roses. But someone told me once, like, oh, roses are such old lady flowers. Like, I hate roses. I'm like, who doesn't like roses? You're an
1: old lady flower.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here's what it says. The rose was a symbol of the goddesses of old. So – It's no wonder that when Christianity absorbed large parts of the indigenous Celtic traditions in Europe, the mother goddess, Mother Mary, became associated with the rose. Perhaps the reason Mary is so beloved is because she was the only mother goddess who could be worshipped safely, and as such, carries with her the devotion and yearning of all those who longed to worship the goddess in a feminine form. Mary's connection with the rose is seen in some of her titles, including Rosa Mystica, the Mystic Rose, and the Rose Without Thorns like those of the pagan goddesses before her the processions that honored mary involved walking on rose petals the church altered the stories of goddesses past including those that featured roses such as aphrodite turning the white rose red with her blood putting mary in the goddess's place churches were erected all over europe and beyond in many cases on the site of celtic temples and places of goddess worship many had beautiful rose windows in the west the direction of the feminine and dedication to mary mother of the rose this is a card of compassion, devotion, and grace. It encourages us to soften towards humanity and to endeavor to see the world and even those who have hurt us with understanding and open heart and deep humility, to see that we all carry hurt and are all wounded. We have all experienced severing. Mother Mary is inviting you to open your heart to humanity when you most want to close. Hmm well said <laughs> yes i yeah. feel like that's perfect it's just reiterating what you said about how we are in a moment of healing now and it's time to really reach out even to the people who've hurt us or who have different opinions yeah. than us or you know who handled things differently than we might have handled them blaming pointing fingers it's not going to get us anywhere we want to go and so i love that we pulled this card reminding us to all connect Be humble, be grateful, be compassionate, see other people's points of view. And I think, you know, we can all connect to the source of unconditional love, right? Like regardless of what religion you believe in, if you're probably somewhat spiritual, if you clicked on the spiritual journalist, you know, we all believe in something greater than ourselves. And really that power is love. That power is oneness, you know, that we're all created equal. So I hope we can all move more towards this and I love that this is the card we got for this episode. Me too. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me, for agreeing to have this conversation, Um, letting me take a look at your birth chart, do a deep dive into your (laughs) psyche. Love that. It's so fun. um, I know, we'll have to do a deeper reading and look at Justin's too sometime. Yes, be- let's yeah. do it. <laughs> yes. uh, but thank you for being here. To those of you who showed up to join the conversation, thank you so much for bringing an open mind, for being willing to just listen and hear heather's experience that says a lot about you as a person and i appreciate that and yeah just thank you for being curious again heather i can't thank you enough for just being willing to have these conversations not all icu nurses would be willing to just come on and share about such a controversial topic oh well it's my pleasure (laughs) all right well thank you thank you thank you we will be back next week with another episode of the spiritual journalist but until then Stay curious. Thank you so much for joining our discussion today. If you enjoyed this episode of The Spiritual Journalist, you can find more on thespiritualjournalist.com or you can listen to our conversations wherever you enjoy podcasts. And if you want to learn more about astrology, join me live every weekday morning on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter for Transits Today, where we break down the energy of the day based on the movement of the planets. And start our morning off in a high vibe. All of the information we share on The Spiritual Journalist is completely free to you. So if you'd like to support more content like this, the easiest way to do so is to subscribe to our YouTube page. Head over to The Spiritual Shop on our website and buy yourself a little something. Or if you're feeling extra generous, you can buy me a coffee to fuel future live streams. Just tap the link in the description or head to buymeacoffee.com and search The Spiritual Journalist. I'm so grateful you found us here, and I can't wait for our next conversation.